the National Archives podcast series, The Festival of Britain, presented by Bryony Paxman. The Festival of Britain opened on the 3rd of May 1951. It was a summer-long nationwide festival, widely remembered for bringing a splash of colour to post-war Britain, with events ranging from an exhibition on London's South Bank to local arts festivals. After the ravages of war and the continued hardships of post-war austerity, this was an opportunity to look hopefully towards the future. To quote the festival literature, it aimed to present to the world, in exhibitions and in other ways, the British contribution to civilization, past, present and future, in the arts, in science and technology, in architecture and building research, and in industrial design. On the 14th of September 1945, Gerald Barry, editor of the News Chronicle, published an open letter to the President of the Board of Trade, calling attention to the approaching centenary of the 1851 Great Exhibition. He proposed a great trade and cultural exhibition to advertise British design and craftsmanship, attract overseas trade and tourism, and encourage economic growth. Given the country's straitened finances following the war, initial plans for a universal international exhibition were considered too expensive. Instead, Herbert Morrison, Lord President of the Council, announced proposals in December 1947 for a Festival of the Arts and Sciences, shortly to be known as the Festival of Britain. A Festival of Britain Council was appointed with an executive committee under Barry to coordinate arrangements. Special regional committees and six bodies, including the Arts Council, the Council of Industrial Design and the British Film Institute, reported to the Executive Committee and were responsible for the delivery of the festival. The National Archives holds the records of this office in Series Work 25. This rich resource holds a wealth of information, including photographs of festival preparations, minutes of council meetings, contracts with suppliers, architects' sketches, and original artwork. In this podcast, we will draw on these records to tell the story of the Festival of Britain and pick out some of its key themes. London's South Bank site was a focus of festival celebrations, attracting over 8 million visitors. On land which had been largely left to rubble following wartime bombing, a miraculous transformation took place. Within three years, 27 and a half acres of pavilions, gardens, fountains and trees, not to mention the new Royal Festival Hall, had appeared on the south bank of the River Thames. The south bank exhibits were organised to flow as a narrative of the land and people of Britain. Visitors were advised to follow a route, upstream and downstream, so as to understand the displays as part of a story of the nation and of life in Great Britain in 1951. The narrative began upstream, with pavilions such as the sea, minerals of the island and power and production, which looked at the land and natural wealth of the British Isles and how these resources shaped the British landscape and industry. The downstream pavilions then described the British people, their way of life and how this was served by modern design and production. Pavilions in this section focused on schools, homes and gardens, health, sports and the seaside. The Lion and the Unicorn Pavilion held displays representing the national character, with exhibits celebrating the English language, the growth of freedom, British craftsmanship and country life. There was also a whimsical section of the pavilion devoted to eccentricity as a characteristic of the British people. 
This eccentrics corner contained odd inventions, including an egg roundabout, a smoke grinding machine, and motorcyclist goggles which sported wind-powered windscreen wipers. The Dome of Discovery, Skylon Tower and Telecinema were futuristic landmarks of the South Bank site. Then the biggest dome in the world, the Dome of Discovery housed displays devoted to creative thought, architecture, engineering and the British spirit of inquiry. The Telecinema was specially equipped to show new experimental works in animation, as well as films commissioned for the festival, like Humphrey Jennings' Family Portrait. This was modern science made accessible to all, a recurrent theme of the festival. Visitors to the South Bank could have travelled by boat down the Thames to the new Festival Pleasure Gardens at Battersea. Here could be found refreshment and entertainment to suit all tastes and pockets, a contrast to the more educational exhibition nearby. The gardens were built on a 37-acre site and took their lead from the pleasure gardens of 18th century London. Different experiences awaited the visitor in various parts of the gardens, from a dance pavilion large enough for over 400 couples to a children's zoo. The riverside area was like a park within the park, designed above all for rest and relaxation. It boasted a tree walk, complete with whole villages, a fiery dragon, owls, bats and caterpillars. There was a music pavilion, mermaid fountain and the Riverside Theatre where Leonard Sachs produced old-time song saloon shows. The small blue and white Regency-style shops of the parade area became the Bond Street of the gardens, while the bright piazza area had coloured paved flooring and deep shadows painted onto buildings to give a sense of perpetual afternoon sunshine. The Grand Vista offered a similarly colourful sight. Two great flights of steps led down to lakes, overlooked by Chinese Gothic-style arcades with golden roofs, and two dark red Gothic towers topped with dovecots. Nearby was Far Tottering Station and a miniature railway which ran to the funfair, whose attractions included the Big Dipper, a boating pool, and plenty of amusement rides. While London was the scene for many festival events, we must not forget that the festival organisers wanted it to be, quote, the first great nationwide festival, an all-embracing national gesture of a diversity and magnitude never before made. Nine government-funded exhibitions were held across England, Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales, with 23 arts festivals, a land travelling exhibition and the festival ship Campania carrying the festival message across the country. Indeed, nearly 2,000 cities, towns and villages organised and funded a festival event of some kind. In Glasgow, the Conquest of Power exhibition focused on the theme of heavy engineering and industrial power. Eleven halls were used to tell the history of power and to celebrate science from the mill wheel to atomic power in such a way that it hoped to entice the ordinary holidaymaker in search of pleasure and excitement. Attractions included a 250-foot ship, a full-scale prehistoric coal swamp and a million-volt machine which sent flashes of man-made lightning to a domed roof representing the night sky. Festival exhibitions in Wales and Northern Ireland also aimed to spread scientific visions of the future. Both exhibitions displayed how modern building science could improve life and industry. The Ulster Farm and Factory exhibition told a narrative of industry and agriculture in Northern Ireland. As an illustration of the progress made, an 1851 farmstead sat next to a model farmhouse and farmyard of the future. Similarly, the hillside farming scheme in Merioneth focused on scientific solutions to problems in agriculture. 
The theme of building research and planning as a solution to social and housing problems was picked up at the Live Architecture exhibition at Poplar in East London. While the South Bank exhibition suggested what architecture could do for people in the future, this exhibition, in the newly created neighbourhood of Lansbury, revealed what was already being done. The exhibition guidebook suggested that bad planning had created dirty, drab, congested towns which fostered disease and crime. The three square miles area of Stepney and Poplar was considered in urgent need of reconstruction. The exhibition guide explained, the overcrowded, insanitary and obsolete buildings with their drab, monotonous and cramped surroundings were to be swept away and in their place 11 new neighbourhoods were planned. These neighbourhoods would be small towns in their own right, with housing, schools, churches and public buildings to recreate the old communities of Stepney, Bow and Poplar. Features such as the pedestrianised shopping centre and marketplace, playgrounds, gardens and open spaces were key to the new community which was being created. Pen wash sketches of the area by Hugh Casson, Director of Architecture for the South Bank Exhibition, can be found in Work 25, Piece 69. Building continued at Lansbury during the festival to demonstrate modern building methods and materials in action, and a temporary exhibition provided an introduction to town planning and building research. The new housing was equipped with modern conveniences, which demonstrated how these principles could be applied. The theme of scientific progress surfaces again and again in the exhibitions and displays of the festival. While the South Bank exhibition illustrated the impact on everyday life of British advances in science and technology, the exhibition of science in South Kensington concentrated on the structure of matter. The visitor entered the exhibition through a series of five rooms in which everyday objects gradually became larger until in the final room the visitor had entered into the heart of matter. The exhibition guidebook explains Going through these rooms, you seem to shrink like Alice in Wonderland, and the things around you seem to grow larger and larger. There are pencil and paper in the first room. Now you find yourself apparently shrinking, first to the size of the pencil, and then to the thickness of the paper. And then a last step, you are 10,000 million times smaller than you began, and now you see into the atoms themselves. The crystalline and molecular structures explored in the science exhibition were used as a recurrent design motif at the festival, in the regatta restaurant on the South Bank, and by the festival pattern group in textile design, plastics, pottery and more. Indeed, the Festival of Britain provided a brilliant display of the latest in modern British design and architecture. One way in which this was achieved was through a series of competitions to design various components of the festival, and in Work 25, Piece 20, the National Archives has papers of the committees who oversaw these competitions. In June 1948, the Executive Committee wrote to 12 designers, inviting them to take part in a competition to design the festival symbol. The right design was crucial. The committee noted that much can be gained from associating with the symbol the basic idea of improving standards and creating new and improved forms of British culture for the future, which is inherent in the festival theme. Renowned graphic designer A. Brown Games won with his design showing the head of Britannia surmounting the star of the compass. Unsuccessful entries can be found in Work 25, Piece 73, with various versions of the winning symbol as manipulated for use on medallions, luggage labels and more. The Skylon, the striking futuristic structure that formed a memorable part of the South Bank landscape, was itself chosen through an architectural competition for a vertical feature. 
the temporary structure was to be demolished within nine months of completion and preference was given to designs which were particularly economical in the use of all materials and labour. 157 designs were received, but the design by Powell and Moyer won. The structure was almost 300 feet tall and suspended 40 feet above the ground, almost invisibly supported by cables and pylons. At night it was illuminated from within, and seeming to float above the south bank was a spectacular addition to the landscape. The festival also aimed to recognise merit in civic and landscape design through special architectural awards. The council wanted the scheme to stimulate interest in landscape and architectural design and to provide, quote, an historical record of accepted ideas of good design at the time of the festival. Papers of the Festival Council for Architecture, Town Planning and Building Research can be found in Work 25, Piece 20 and include information on the 19 entries which received the festival award. These winners included the Newbury Park bus station in Ilford. The nomination papers stated that this utilitarian, modern structure, which could have had all the dreary characteristics of concrete, is probably the most attractive and original of all the London Transport Executive Stations. There is no doubt the scheme is a worthy contribution to the civic development in the area. The Priory Memorial Gardens at Royston in Hertfordshire were another very different winner. Built on five derelict acres in central Royston, the scheme included ornamental gardens, a miniature golf course, a children's corner and small bird sanctuary. The nomination papers noted that Royston had no public open space before the gardens were begun and praised the recreational facilities and, quote, the aesthetic value of these now beautiful gardens from what was a wilderness. This theme of using intelligent planning, science and design to build a modern, better Britain was key to the festival. Whether in living conditions, culture, industrial design or farm management, the exhibitions of 1951 pointed towards a more hopeful future. In his speech to the first meeting of the Festival Council in 1948, Gerald Barry had stated his aims for the festival. 1951 must be much more than a year of bigger and better exhibitions, or more and merrier festivals. It ought to leave some mark on our history, by the standards we set, by the wealth of talent we disclose, by the recognition of the arts and sciences in the national life, by emphasising their indispensability in the future. By all these things, a festival should aim to produce tangible and lasting results. The material in Work 25 provides a record of how the Council went about its work and what it accomplished through its endeavours. This podcast was recorded live on the 24th of March 2011 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved. <laughs>